So Grant, uh, thank you for joining me. Um, huge pleasure for our listeners and, and those watching on YouTube. Um, I'm delighted to um, have Grant Hentry with me and Grant is from Foundation Homelands. So he's very much um, an expert within the uh, the buy to let, but I also understand you also do resi as well. Um, but yeah. you definitely focus on sort of specialist buy to let sector. And I think what's going to be interesting with the Property Insights um, series of videos and uh, and podcasts that we're looking to uh, roll out is really getting the experts' opinion, what they're seeing on the ground, and that's really why we're here today, Grant, isn't it? To to chat about where we see twenty twenty one what the market conditions like the economy and yeah, how we see that affecting the property market. So that's really where I want to focus today um, and, and share with the audience what, uh, where we see it's going. Yeah, that makes it makes perfect sense. So thank you very much for having me on to, uh, to give the thoughts from foundation home loans. No, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So let's kick it off um, Grant, with, with the property market. Um, you know, obviously everyone's thinking, you know, what's going to be happening in 2021 new year. I know we're sort of 20th of January as of today. So, um, you know, in the UK, a lot of us are in lockdown. Um, you know, the economy is tanking. What, what's the future for the property market as, as you guys see it? Yeah, I, I, we're, we're very positive as, as I think the market is as well. So if we, if we go back, and we look at where we were, if we were having this conversation uh, when COVID first happened and the initial lockdown uh, back in March, uh, there was real doom and gloom. I think there was real concern. I think Rishi Sunak did a fantastic job uh, by very quickly reacting to the property market and understanding how important it is for the UK economy. So, and to protect people and the risk. So, taking the mortgage initially it was branded as mortgage payment holidays and everyone thought oh this is fantastic i'll i'll jump on that um and then it very quickly got changed to mortgage payment deferral it wasn't a holiday it was a deferral of your payment and that changed the the persona of it but what we saw then in july when he then launched the um stamp duty holiday it created great stimulus for the market and we're now still benefiting from that and and the fact that it didn't just involve targeting maybe first-time buyers the fact it targeted landlords put us in a very strong position for the market so what we then saw is house prices got to around seven percent increase year on year Um, so that was another positive stimulus because from a landlord's point of view even if it's they're looking to remortgage and rates are very competitive they can capital raise on their existing portfolio to look to buy so from where we look let's say post the 31st of march we don't anticipate it's going to be a cliff edge there may be there may be a bit of a lull uh, where people are just finding their feet again uh, they're not expecting necessary house prices to continue to go up at the rate in which they did last year but i actually uh, i think that landlords are always looking to invest sadly when there is a a situation where we are going to fall into some form of recession at the end of this it's it's highly likely based on on the economy and where we are but if you go back to 2007 2008 when the market crashed then it was caused by lending uh and bad lending that happened that then triggered us and put us in this position actually now it hasn't been caused by banks it's been caused by something that's completely out of everyone's control um 
So landlords will always con consistently continue to buy property. They like bricks and mortar in this country and it's a good investment. So I personally think that the, the purchase market will still continue for landlords. I think it's, it's going to still remain very strong for them. If there is a slight drop in, price, in house prices, um, it will come down to supply and demand. But I still think that that will still hold up strong. Before you are looking at probably, uh, we always work on a 70-30 split on the buy-to-let side of remortgage versus purchase. And we're looking more 50-50. And actually, we see um, the purchase market continuing to grow this year. So I think I've given you a very long answer, but I'm actually very optimistic for, for where we are. And on top of that, I think having Brexit sorted before Christmas as well has given us great confidence. What's happening in America at the moment, once again, just gives us a bit more stability that we need rather than this volatile world in which we live. It's really interesting, isn't it? When we look back to, to last year, how um, I think there was an expectation that property prices would, would drop, um, but actually the complete opposite happened and there was just this huge surge of demand that came through the system. Um, yeah. And, and and I think that took everyone by surprise a little bit. And 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 I know you sort of touched on you know you you're wondering whether come March whether there's going to be a little lull before you know more activity. Part of me wonders whether actually we'll see the same things again, where this this pent up demand, yeah, um, an element of of migration still happening, where people are wanting to get out of the cities. They're realizing actually, yeah, I can work from home. Why am I cooped yeah. up in a two bed flat with my wife and two kids actually i could be living in the suburbs or wherever so i i, I wonder whether there is going to be this the surge again this year um or, or whether it's going to be a bit more uh, tempered yeah i think when you look at london is has such uh a gravity pull and focus this, this centric approach that we have when you look at london and actually what we're finding now is that and you're, you're spot on what you're saying that people are actually renting outside and saving themselves money because they don't need to be commuting into work or be as close as they were so we're actually noticing that our average loan size has dropped where investors are buying outside of area because actually people don't need to be in certain areas as they were before but what the landlords are looking at as well is i want to look at my rental yield on a, on a monthly, annually basis, rather than how much is my property worth, how much am I making? The, the ICR that they're working to is really important for them. So um, that's, that's looking very positive. Uh, and from a lender's point of view as well, you don't want to have a heavy focus in a certain area, that, that heavy concentration. And predominantly, because our head office is in Bracknell, um, the way in which we we grew our business at the beginning was very southern based um but as we've grown our sales force as we've grown our knowledge um and i'll cover off underwriting in a minute um what we found is that actually uh landlords now want to invest and create greater rental yields so that attraction to the north the northwest uh, is certainly uh showing in our figures what we're seeing so when you're saying um, you almost prefer um, that spread of risk in terms of areas, because there clearly is a huge difference in areas without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. And, and I think to some extent, there's, those micro economies um, and micro, micro property economies are, are very different from one another. I know we see national statistics, but I think ultimately it doesn't really tell much of a story. It's, those, it's what's happening in the, in the different areas and different regions, and they all have their nuances. With, when you're saying about sort of 
you know, the um, condensing portfolio. So you're talking about the, um, from a lender's perspective, you don't want to be sort of exposed within a particular area too much, or you're talking about um, the actual investors. Is it better for the investors to start thinking about spreading their portfolio rather than focusing on specific areas? Um, Maybe a mix, mixture of both. A mix, a mix of both, a hundred percent a mix of both. And the reason for that is that, and I won't kind of get into the nitty gritty, but for lenders like ourselves, we securitize our loans. So we don't lend um, in the same way in which a bank would lend off their back book. We basically will lend and then we will sell that book on. Um, and that market is very buoyant. But whenever you put something in, sort of like a wrapper, uh, in a way, and if you, you've seen the, the film The Big Short, it's, it's a great example of kind of what you put into that wrapper and then you sell that on. You don't want to have a big, heavy focus on the South because, yes, the LTV might be good or all of a sudden if something happens like what we have experienced, all of a sudden they haven't got as much margin in what they've invested in. So they like to have a bit more of a spread. So it's more comforting from their side. Um, and just from our general lending, is it puts us in a better position to be able to help a wider audience. And I think from a landlord's point of view, they are now looking, as I said, about how much they can make on a monthly basis, rental that's coming in, where is the demand? So are they looking at, as an example, we do short-term lets. So what's happened in the UK? Yes, there's been a big spike in people now booking their holidays, confident after the jab that they're gonna be able to go abroad. But you've also got um, people saying, I don't want to go abroad. I don't wanna get on an airplane. I don't wanna to go to an environment I don't feel safe in. So a short-term let, an Airbnb scenario works really well for, for lenders like us and, and we're one of few that do it but actually landlords are saying no i i want to invest in a holiday let because also you haven't got the the fear of trying to evict a tenant if there's an issue with them paying rent when it's a short-term let they're going for a weekend a week two weeks whatever it might be for the summer um we can accommodate that market and so the people are capitalizing on that because once again you can create greater rental yields in that environment and you're your student lets, those types of things, they're looking at certain areas in, in the country where there is going to be constant demand for that. I can remember in 2008, 2009, I was with Nationwide and I looked after the Cambridgeshire region and what the, the foreign investors were doing, and they went with such a simple model, but they just said basically where there are core universities, they have outlasted whatever's happened in the world um, we want to invest in these areas. So Cambridge was was really prominent, uh, Edinburgh, Durham, Oxford. And they were like, I want to invest here because I feel the market is going to be more stable. And I think Cambridge was a great example of a bubble and a very quick recovery off the back of it as well. So where they did, then did see spikes in house prices. So I think uh, investors know it better than I do. They do it on a day-to-day -day basis. But then there isn't as much of a fear of investing outside of an area in which you live. No, that's that's fantastic. I really want to dive into that whole um, different type of um, uh, investment of assets, whether it's you know holiday let, regular buy to let, what type of you know areas, yeah. and different yields. Um, I really want to dive into that, but I think if we roll it back, I really I'm intrigued in terms of the views of you know lenders in terms of where uh, possibly. Again, we're talking about house prices. I'm talking about the, you know, where's the economy? Where's the, where's the house, the property market going? Um, I think we're both in agreement. We're quite confident about it, actually, even though there's a lot of um, speculation that there's going to be, uh, you know, prices going to drop. We're going to potentially see 
um, inflation with int- and interest rate rises with the amount of money being sort of pumped into the system and, and, and things like that. But for me, I, I can't see it. I genuinely, um, I mean, I've called it wrong before. So I, and I don't, you know, I, I think whenever you listen to a prediction, you know, take it with a pinch of salt because no one has that crystal ball. But, yeah. you know, for me, 2008, 2009, um, I thought property prices were going to come down a lot more than they did. Genuinely, yeah. um, I mean, well, maybe 10% roughly, and they soon sort of bounce back within a few years. And, yeah. and, and I, I still don't think that correction was enough back then. Um, and, you know, it, it did really, really surprise me. So I think now I, I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, a correction may be what's, what should happen, but I'm not convinced it will happen. Um, what's yeah. your thoughts around that? Whether, you know, with all this money printing, are we going to see interest rates rising or, or is that just going to kill any sort of recovery if they decide to do that? I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I think with the house price drop, so we had to almost come out of the market for a couple of reasons. So firstly, the way in which we securitize there was a nervousness when you when you're in the unknown the natural reaction is to to retract and say let's just regroup let's take our time let's see what happens um and so what we then saw was actually oh it's all right we, we can dip our toe back in now it's, it's looking positive but what also then happened was we put plasters on it so it almost feels like we're in a bit of a false bubble as well at the same time and i expected i did a number of uh, webinars and podcasts and probably was very pessimistic and, and negative towards it going, look, we're going to be in for a mess. It's going to be a mess. And it wasn't. And I don't think we've experienced the worst of it. So potentially there, there will be this lull. Um, but I think that the, the great thing from where we're sat is that because we can do resi and buy to let, we've, we've got both areas covered. When one bit I didn't elaborate on enough in the first question that you asked was that landlords wanted to invest in 2007, 2008, but they couldn't because there was no lending. There is still lending. And so the private rental sector will potentially grow. So that's great for for our investors that are listening to this now. It's not so good for those first time buyers and those trying to get on the ladder because they're getting the properties before them. And that's what will then cause house prices to maintain at a certain level. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, I am confident that from where we're sat from a selfish point of view, that the economy will sit well. And one of the other bits you mentioned about rates, we've got ourselves into this comfort zone of being a cheap rate country now. That's how, we, that's how it, it works for everybody. Everything we do in life, we're always looking to get a cheaper deal. John Lewis would be a great example that, yes, you get great service, but they're generally priced a little bit more. And it's not as easy for me to go and do shopping with John Lewis as it is to do with Amazon. And people are constantly looking at what's the ease, what's the cheapest way, what's the quickest way to get what they want. So we've become accustomed to that. And that's why I think that interest rates can't afford to go up. The government needs to find other uh, ways of stimulating uh, growth in, in the UK economy. But the Brexit bit, I think, I think is... Uh, is a a great way in which hopefully we're going to be able to ride the storm better than it potentially could have been a year ago when we we were talking then. No, definitely. I think there's a lot of uncertainty wasn't there for sure. But I think now, you know, with with whatever side of the argument you're on, um, I think that we've got a focus where we're going. So hopefully 
you know, that makes life a little bit easier. We've had a bit of a rough ride recently, haven't we? <laughs> I mean, that's been oh going my on goodness. over the last yeah, few years. <laughs> yeah, complete. But once again, landlords have ridden the storm. If you look at the things that they had from 2015, so they had the stamp duty surcharge come in. They then had the tax relief, uh, HMO licensing. Huge. huge. Um, they've been hit. They've been hit, but they've constantly had to evolve um, and change their approach. So obviously the HMO growth has been really important for them. Um, and then it's had to been, once again, tried to be controlled, but it's created greater opportunity and it's improved the professionalism 100%. of a landlord. 100%. So I think I, thing that, I was just going to jump sorry, on that. I think one of the unfortunate things, um, and I agree with everything you're saying, it has basically got rid of the small investor, small landlords. And yeah. I do... And it is good in many respects, all the profession, you know, all that is fantastic. And it has, um, it, it's made it much more of a professional career to be a property investor. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot more planning scope and, and all the rest of it. You can't be just Joe Bloggs, I'm going to go and get a buy to let anymore. That market's yeah. well and truly gone. Um, but to the same, to, to this, but one thing that does, you know, jump into my mind is I feel, I feel sad that that's happened as well, because those people aren't going to have that opportunity to um, create wealth for themselves as easily as the guys who are the bigger guys who are more professional and all the rest of it, which is great for them. And, and, you know, no doubt, but the small guy, you know, they've been wiped out in terms of the buy to let then they're, they're not in the buy to let market. Um, yeah. That's not to say there aren't new entrants coming into the buy to let market and people. Yeah, we're seeing it. And they held up really well. So we were concerned about first time landlords and, um, that was one of the areas that we really clamped down on. But actually what the mortgage payment deferrals did was give us a chance to test our book and see where our weaknesses were. And we were really proud and, and, and happy with what the first time landlords did because they didn't uh, dip into the mortgage payment deferrals as much as some of the others. Um, but I, I agree with what you're saying. What I would say as well, though, is that what has come off the back of it is limited companies. Apologies if you can hear the kids, the joys of uh, homeschooling and, uh, and that sort of lockdown. Very familiar. <laughs> yeah. So what we what we have seen is that because of the way that the uh, tax relief and the stamp duty surcharge has changed things, and also the PRA guidelines on how lenders assess buy to lets, has actually meant that landlords are now more structured in the business they're building. So they're building it in a limited company. Um, and it's not just because you, you get a better rental um, calculation on how lenders assess it, because what you can do is, let's say, for example, you, myself, um, and two other friends said, Look, let's start investing in property. Let's do it properly. Let's not just do a let to buy, which was the problem before people were just doing let to buys because they didn't want to sell the house. They could, thought, I'll keep hold of it, but they didn't manage it properly. They didn't have it set up. If, let's yeah, accidental it, landlords. Exactly right. Um, so the let to buy market died off, but what we're seeing on that professionalism is that you can do it. And the best time to do it is straight away, not putting off saying, well, let's do it in five years time because you're missing the boat again. And then you're having to play catch up. So I think that if you sit down and you have four friends that are serious about doing it, but saying, I don't want one property, I want five. And then once I've had five, I want 10. 
you can do it you're not going to miss the boat and i think it's a really good time to be doing that rather than feeling you've got to do it on your own which was, was the case on an individual yes that's so true and you know what that's something i've not considered um you know yeah. what a great opportunity for those who you know who've got a few friends who have similar interests they want to invest in property and like you said it was always a lonely game before it was always something yeah. that you did on your own um you you really didn't probably know what you're doing to begin with you you got a bit yeah. of advice from a mortgage broker an estate agent a letting agent or who, whoever um yeah but it was quite a lonely game um and it's so. a great way to collaborate you know you don't then need to find that big deposit all by yourself you can you know you can split it effectively yeah but if you ima- if you imagine as well i mean i wouldn't get i wouldn't be much used to our business if i'm honest i can't I'm pretty much do a paintbrush, but if you were a carpenter, an electrician, a builder, a brickie, uh, and a plumber, I mean, that's the perfect mix of building a portfolio because as well, if, if you look at how you get money out of your company and you're doing direct, director's loans out, so we as a lender won't lend to a trading limited company. You have to have a, an SPV that's set up. Yes. But you do that and you do a director's loan to take the money out of your company and invest into property it's a great time to be doing it. I really do believe it is. So, um, yeah, sadly, I can't bring anything to the table, uh, Ben, on that. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's somebody <laughs> out there who can support your business model. No, oh, no, likewise, likewise. I, I I, just don't like DIY, I'm afraid. I'm not, yeah. not hands-on. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, that's fantastic. So let's um, go back to um, what you were touching on earlier about um, you know, different yields and different t- type of asset classes. And, and yeah. you know, all, I don't know if asset class is the right word, but, um, you know, I guess a business uh, structure, whether it's, you know, your, your, your aims of the business is to hold it, let it or HMO it or, or whatever. Um, yeah. In terms of, let's, let's focus on yields. Where are you seeing, um, you know, sort of a good sort of... Uh, opportunities that are arising in the in the uk because obviously you've got a uk wide um, or, should, or is it maybe england and england wales and scotland or just england wales uh yeah so england and wales england we lend in england wales. we don't lend in uh, in scotland or ireland so Wales, the, the the southwest is working very well especially on the short term let side but I think that the rental yields, and I've see, uh, seen from when I speak to brokers on a regular basis or they just want to discuss something with me, and the amount of property they're buying because they can buy three or four houses and create a rental yield of 6 7% versus buying one house in London with a 4% return on it. And it once again, if you look at how we diversify, it's the same for a landlord. If he's got four properties and three of them are renting, one isn't, he's still covering himself. 100%. So there seems to be an attraction to the price and what they're getting and what the rental yield is for landlords. And, and as that the West Mid and the Midlands and the Northwest seems to be attracting a lot of business. And we we use BDRC for uh, landlord data uh, and research and they complete questionnaires. And from that data, it's it's certainly pulling that way. Um, and also we're seeing what you then find is that if you're buying property in those areas, House prices do go up because it then comes down to supply and demand. Um, HMOs, I think, is is an interesting one. Um, To use foundation home loans, you've got to be an experienced landlord. So I would never recommend you go straight in and buy a HMO. Um, Test the water at first and get a bit more of a feel um, of what you should be doing. But once again, the returns you can get off HMOs is, is very good. And I, we we question we go back and forth, and I don't know the answer 
um, to this because some people go, why would you want to live in a HMO in this current world in which we're living? But then there is other research saying, because I don't want to be in a house on my own at this moment in time. And I'd much rather retract everything I'm saving and have a room. So I don't know what you're seeing from where you're sat, if it's an attraction towards HMOs. Oh, you know what? I think it's very um, area specific to a certain extent uh, and the demographics that are within different areas. Um, I think certainly if you're you know, in a, in a, a a city which is young vibrant um and you know a lot of people who are the, you know young professionals you're much more likely to want to live in a um a house with other young professionals i mean let's forget about yeah. the tag or what it's called a hmo it's all a bit techie yeah. um yeah. but basically you know you know joe bloggs wants to rent he doesn't know what, what how an hmo is he just wants yeah. to live with a house maybe he's got another mate you know out, oh there's a house advertised it's got five other yeah. people in it opportunity to make some friends we're moving to a new city just finished uni um you know let's you know shared kitchen great you know it, it's Absolutely. it looks like a lovely house and it's yeah i don't know 800 a month or 500 a month yeah. or whatever the figure is mm. um so i think there's always going to be that market um and i guess well the question is is there with with current covid you know and, and all the rest of it but i think i think one thing people have also realized is actually they also like they miss that social aspect so like you touched on i yeah. don't know if people want to be by themselves in a one bed flat I, I think certain demographics not everybody but they'll they want to be able to socialize and, and make yeah. friends and you know, yeah. so i think there's always going to be a strong market there but obviously you've got the the flip side with other areas where there isn't a professional culture or or demographics um, there isn't as many professional jobs um, so it's a different type of HMO uh, opportunity so whether yeah. that's you know I guess unfortunate for, for certain you know people but maybe you know DSS you know um, and social housing and, and things like that and you've probably got a range in between you know maybe doctors or nurses they want to live near a hospital whatever it is yeah. so I think for me I just think it's just down to forgetting about almost um all the techie side but thinking about as a operator as a buy to let landlord where do you want to you know bring it back to basics what kind of business do you want to operate and run yeah and does no, that definitely. business make sense in that area that you're that yeah. you're operating oh completely uh, you know i see um we, we get a lot of portfolio business and we found that certain landlords really start specializing in hmos and there's there's one uh, who's who's based in the northwest Manchester area around there, and he has got a fantastic model. And I think that anybody who who kind of wants to go to that next level, the professionalism he has brought to a HMO into that market is exceptional. So he will buy a house for a bridge to start with. So he will buy a larger property for a bridge because lenders like us won't lend on something that isn't lettable from day one. Uh, yes, it might need a lick of paint or whatever, but if he's going in to do a complete restructure um, and we, then what you can do is we have a day one remortgage product. So you then bring it to us with it. Normally, it's kind of three to six months before we could exit the bridge because of money laundering. We need to see that track record. What we've then got is a day one remortgage product. So the quicker you do the work. So not, not three going, months, not six months. Correct. Yeah, yeah, we've got a certain product for HMOs, which is a day one remortgage product. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that can be within that three month window. 
Uh, so can I just break that down for so, so anyone who's listening, maybe they're not yeah. as experienced as some of our other listeners. So this yeah. basically it sounds like this guy is finding it. I'm going to exaggerate, but just yeah. so it, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Buying a wreck yeah. that's, that he can't get a normal HMO mortgage for. Yeah, he wants correct. to get loads of people in it. He, he buys it quickly through a bridge, gets some builders in, does it up. And as as quick as he can do it up, he can basically get rid of the bridge and get a mortgage uh, like with you guys. And he's, we're doing it on the new, on the higher value. But what he's done now, and he's, he's very proud, so he's got a really good HMO website that he's built up basically saying because you might go into one house and go well, actually i want to move over to that area i've now moved to the area and i want to be there so he can keep that customer and move them where they feel more suited but it's the professionalism and he's then got the same images throughout so he knows i need every room to be 40 square meters whatever he's looking for and i need everyone to have an ensuite and he invests in the property so he the more he puts into it the greater that value of that property is the more likely he is to rent it and he is just growing and growing his portfolio. Um, and I'm really impressed with and how and I like to see how proud he is of what he is building. And he's a photographer by trade, um, but he, he got some money, inheritance and started it and goes, but I don't just want to do a buy to let and just leave it. I want to do it really, really well. And that way he just builds up a really strong brand in that area. Um, so once again, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity if you're going to do a HMO, but do it properly. Don't just lick a paint and try and get away with it. It's just not worth it. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess it does still come down to the market that you're in and, and the market you're servicing. But, and that comes down to what type of business do you want to operate um, and, yeah. and, and getting that right. But I think, you know, when when somebody has that clear focus and direction on, on the on the business model that they want to follow and pursue, you know, it, it, it gives them some more clarity and it makes their life so much easier because when they're yeah. looking for new opportunities, they know exactly whether something fits within their business model or doesn't. Um, so they can, yeah. you know, it's much more of a focused approach, not a scattergun approach. Um, and yeah. ultimately it makes it a lot easier. And, and you're right, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, this whole professionalism with the landlords sector has truly taken off. Um, and, and in a way, I guess it makes it a lot easier for you guys as the lenders. Oh, definitely. For us, because if you imagine, let's just call him Mr. Smith for argument stakes. Mr. Smith comes and brings his first case to us. Now he's got 10 properties in his portfolio. We now know Mr. Smith. We've done our due diligence on Mr. Smith as an individual and his business. We understand what he's doing. All he's doing is just adding more properties to him at the top and underneath. And then we get to a capacity. So our criteria is 3 million that we can do. Now we can then go to the board if we want to try and push it further and, and ask for additional funding lines for, for them. But generally, as soon as you've got your first case through and you've spoken to the underwriter and you've got a relationship there and you're in your uh, regional account manager, straight away, we know that customer and they want to keep going to the same place. Yes, similar to what we were saying with that diversification, landlords want to diversify. Um, but a lot of the time it will come down to rate and the ICR calculation that they're using. So we, we're seeing more and more repeat business from customers. And that's, that's something that we're really proud of and really want to focus on building more. No, no definitely. I, th I think that's the other nice thing um, from a, a mortgage broker's perspective as well, which we've always had is that close 
longevity and that long relationship with, with clients um, and helping them achieve what they want to achieve as, as you know, effectively a, an advisor for their, you know, mortgage finance. You know, that's always been, I guess, the ultimate goal for mortgage brokers is just to have a great close relationship. Um, it's not, it's not about necessarily repeat business. It's about having, you know, a, a professional relationship that is a two-way thing and that people trust um, and just know that you're going to do a good job and, and, you know, advise them, you know, in in the correct way. Um, And it just makes life easier for everybody. Um, You don't have to play that song and dance game of who are you and get to know you and all the rest of it. Yeah, and and I I couldn't agree more um, on that point. If you are an investor, that you have a broker who is a specialist broker as well. I I see two completely, I have two completely different conversations. I have a broker who dibs and dabs in it but generally just does high street residential lending. And then I have somebody who specializes in landlords who are investing in growing portfolios. The conversations are two completely different conversations. They understand what our needs are as a lender and requirements that we'll ask for, and they'll have it all packaged. But I, I, I don't know if we've got brokers necessarily listening on this, but I had one broker who had come from like an estate agency based uh, broking background. And they then turned around and said, actually, I want to deal with investors. I don't want to deal with 500 customers. I want to deal with 100 customers. And that 100 customers, I will know inside and out. So exactly the same as us as a lender, um, we get to know that landlord and they bring more properties to it. It's the same for the broker as well. If he hasn't got as many customers to be looking after, it's a much easier job for them. It is, but ultimately you can provide a better service um, and, yeah. and, and, and more sort of i guess nuanced advice and and specialist advice and and focused advice but also cutting through a lot of you know waste because you know again when an advisor we're going off topic slightly but certainly when an advisor doesn't really know what they're doing it's very easy for them to pretend they do but then suddenly it's a huge you know obstacle they get found out they get found out there's problems and blah 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 so but let's let's um let's leave that to one side i'm interested to get back to the um invest um property sort of type of you know you know where the opportunities lie hmo yeah. or, or student lets or what similar thing um with the holiday let i always found this really really quite unusual and intriguing why some lenders or most lenders don't like holiday let and yet they'll do buy to let and i think for a lot of people who own property whether you're an investor or not they don't quite understand well, it's an investment property. Does it really matter whether it's a buy to let, HMO, or holiday let? Now we can come on to why, but from uh, from your perspective, why are not many lenders looking at the holiday let sector, and, yeah. and why sometimes do they differentiate between like an Airbnb type holiday let as opposed to a other holiday let? If that makes sense. Yeah. So, I um. I'm focused on the build of it because I, I saw it as a big opportunity, um, especially the Airbnb scenario in the world in which we live. So if I go to stay in Bracknell in the head office, so I don't live I'm two, two and a bit hours away. So if I'm down in the head office for two or three hours, I'll probably stay in a hotel. But some people want a home from home. If you're a contractor and you're down there five days of the week, I don't need to rent the house. And, and from a landlord's point of view, I could rent it to, to you, Ben, five days a week, and then I've got a family that are going to use it on the weekend, then you come back in on the Monday. And it works well from that side. Land, uh, lenders have a problem 
with understanding how do they assess the rental. So we're not taking the amount they're making from the Airbnb on a weekly basis. We're basing the figures as if it is a standard buy to let. In our comfort, we're not looking for your thatched cottage in the Lake District that looks very pretty that's only used for two, three months of the year. We're actually looking at, let's just say, a flat in Birmingham or Manchester, Leeds, wherever it might be, that might be used, as I said, by yourself during the week and then a family going to see their, their daughter at university on the weekend or where it could be flipped to a standard buy to let afterwards. And that was one of the important bits that from a, a risk and compliance point of view, from where we're sat and the treasury of being able to securitize that loan and be able to forward that loan on. Sorry, two seconds, sorry. Hang on. That's all right, no worries. No worries. So just quickly for our viewers to uh, <laughs> keep, keep you with me, um, it's it's a really interesting um, market, I think, the, the holiday net market, but I do worry it is slightly becoming um, oversaturated. Um, Grant, I'm just filling in with the audience um, how, yeah. and we'll come back on to um, the holiday net sector. I think one of my areas yeah. of concern at the moment, particularly in the Southwest, is just huge oversupply of, yeah amount of holiday rental properties that there are um, and how it's not as easy to basically get the yields get the rents that you think it is um, and maybe we'll touch on that either later or on another another uh, podcast but yeah. going back to um, what you're saying so you're effectively what you're saying is the fact that I don't know a, a property down in the southwest for example or wherever it is can can achieve i don't know 20 50k as a holiday let to a certain extent that's an irrelevance you'll always assess it based on the uh, regular Spot ast buy to let because that's the worst case scenario effectively exactly right and that you're absolutely spot on so it protects us as a lender if we were to repossess the property we can either continue to do it as a short-term let or we can do it on a standard ast we could flip it if we had to keep hold of the property so it protects us, but it also protects the landlord who says, actually, I thought this was going to be a massive success, but it's not. I'll have to do it on a standard AST again now. So uh, that's the, the comfort that we have, which is why we've seen huge success with it. Um, I just think that a lot of people assume that because it is a holiday let, it is seasonal. We don't want a seasonal property. We want something that could be let all year round. Yeah, no, definitely. It's interesting. What you just touched on there was exactly, um, I think, uh, sort of my concern for those who are thinking about getting into the holiday let sector when they think it's going to be a lot more money that can be made, which it can be without a doubt. I mean, the, the returns can be so much more um, than a regular uh, buy to let, but it's um, it's a lot harder than I think a lot of people realize. Um, yeah. And there's a huge, huge wave of people doing this. So the competition is yeah. so much more. So, you know, I've, I, I've seen this already um, that, you know, like you just touched on, um, you want people who get into the sector to not almost be over leveraged that they can, you know, if need be, they can flip back to a buy to let and it still works in terms of the figures. Yeah. Um, because I think that's the reality. I think people get into this holiday to let sector thinking, oh, this is a new, new opportunity until they do it and then they realize oh maybe this property isn't quite right for it or it's not big enough or it's not quite in the right location i'm not quite getting the bookings it's a lot yeah. harder i'm running a hotel 
You know, I thought yeah. I thought I was running a buy to let, and I'm actually having to clean it regularly, or, or if I yeah. outsource it, what the, you know, they start oh, realizing yeah. actually it's a lot more of a ball like than possibly. Yeah, yeah. That's why thought. we we only lend to uh, experienced landlords. Once again, it's an important thing that we do, and I think is that experience within the, the holiday let sector, or just as long as they're experienced. Just no, just an experienced landlord, so they understand the commitments that go with with renting a property. So. Um, for us, we, we ideally want to see three to four months experience, which is probably on the, the more lax side of, of lenders. They some of the 12, 24 months before they'd look at something a bit more adventurous. Um, for us, we can work within that. But it comes down to a common sense approach. So the difference that some landlords might appreciate or not appreciate is that they turn around and go, uh, but there's, there's high street lenders that do buy to lets and their rates are 2% cheaper than you. We are a specialist lender, which means we don't have a minimum income. Uh, that means that each case is manually underwritten, that we will take on properties that potentially a high street bank wouldn't touch. And that's why brokers would be bringing business to us. So if they can understand that there is more work that goes into a deal, but it shows their commitment to us as well when they have demonstrated that they're investing in this. And that's why our uh, mortgage payment deferrals going back to that which we mentioned at the very beginning was really low compared to some of our competitors um, because we did so well on our underwriting at the beginning and we got to know the customer and what they're doing which really helps us 100 percent. and i think just touching on the the high street lenders i mean they're just not on the buy to let market you know no. you know i mean anybody who thinks they're going to go to the high street get a buy to let mortgage it's not the place to go if i'm honest um, no. it, it's definitely moved to a very specialist um, area of expertise and certainly with the, like we were touching on earlier with the way the market's gone and changed and the professionalism and and and, and the various opportunities when you get limited or whatever um, I think um, it's definitely a specialist sector T- go, yeah. go back to the ho- holiday let um, one second now my wife's hoovering hang on two seconds <laughs> no worries at all so go on yeah, oh, just go just <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, it was my son with it. I've never seen a Hoover in his hand before in my life. And now the one time he decides to start Hoover, of course. it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I completely appreciate my wife doing the Hoovering. That she, she does it about four or five times a day. She's obsessed with it. But uh, yeah, my son, it was almost <laughs> one of those moments I didn't want to stop him in his... Uh, <laughs> what he was doing but uh yeah fantastic fantastic that. no no not at all um i think i think it's great um so yeah the the holding lend market a couple of things that jump into my mind is do you ever see um i mean there are lenders out there who do it but for you guys particularly do you ever see a time when you'll you won't you know for holding it specifically you'll look at the potential yield based on the holding let rental rather than an ast because for those who yeah. don't know Effectively, if you guys can work off that holiday let rental, um, the amount somebody can borrow is going to be uh, uh, potentially more. So do you think that could happen or is it just not on the radar or do you think it could happen no, maybe with no, experienced it people? Brilliant. The holiday let sector? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant question. Because when we built it in the first place and we launched into short-term lets, it was a question that we were asked. And we didn't have enough research to say, yes, they can or no, they that we, we could or couldn't so we had to go on the side of caution i would love us to get to a position that we can say you provide us two years evidence of you doing this um 
we can now lend you an additional X amount off the back of what you've achieved there. And you can take it from 50% LTV to 75% LTV because there's more money in it. Um, where I think that would work really well is, for example, a London property, where at the moment that the price is very high, but the rent might not be as much, but actually you then turn around and, and who knows, I'm just speaking aloud here, actually london is a very attractive place to go to but potentially not to live but actually if you see more uh short-term lets in that environment it could work really well especially if you could use the rent that's being achieved on a holiday let basis rather than a standard ast so yes uh, it was on our radar before it hasn't raised its head since and maybe with more confidence in the market more of an understanding of what's going on then yeah it's definitely something we, we could look to pursue Definitely, I think there's a couple of points there, isn't there? Because again, for lot of you know people who who are you know trying to get finance, they don't necessarily understand why banks are making certain decisions. They think they're just being awkward or being a pain or, or whatever. You know, they're not being logical. But ultimately, you know, you guys have to weigh up risk reward, and yeah. you know, you guys have to work off data and looking at you know like you know like you touched on, you know, let's we need to build up the data. We need to see what how things are panning out with our existing book, and then you can make those rational decisions rather than going, yeah, let's try that. And, you know, you don't really want to try it and then it blow up in your face. So I think that's yeah. the point. You know, you've got to take a responsible approach to your lending. Ultimately, you don't want the people you're lending to to fail. So, you know. Uh, you, you, once again, you're spot on. If you take flats are a great example. So a block of flats is built and then you own this. You don't own land or anything else around you. It's a leasehold. You own those walls around you. Uh, and, the, and the ceiling above you, and that's all you've got. Um, and then all of a sudden, two years later, or even a year later, there's another new shiny block that's slightly bigger. Your property has downvalued because it's not that, oh, well, you're in a nicer postcode area. This is a new shiny block. And for lenders, that is a risk to us, which is why we're very cautious when it comes to new build flats. It's a tough market to, to get that right. Um, so that's that's a balance for us on, on that part. And that return, the risk is always there for us. So we have a, a mix of product ranges based on somebody's credit, because that's a, a, an easy way for a lender to assess the risk to us. You've missed a payment on a credit card. You've uh, got a CCJ that was satisfied and it was you putting your foot down saying, no, I'm not paying my uh, car parking ticket. I wasn't in the wrong there. So depending on what your score is, depends on what rate you get uh, with foundation. So we have an F1, an F2, an F3 product range. So we can lend to a wider audience of people. But if you haven't been good with your credit, you're going to be impacted on price um, for that. And that will then automatically impact the amount you can borrow with us because we'll assess it. If you take a five year fixed, we'll assess it on the on the pay rate. But that pay rate might be slightly higher, but it will be higher on, a, on an F3 product. But, you know, at least at least you can say yes rather than no. That's that's the point. Yeah, we can say yes to, to, to a lot more people than we could uh, previously. So it does it does work in our favour. Um, there are some that are really on the extreme side. And you're thinking you need to, before looking at investing in property, get your ducks in a row, get yourself sorted um, financially, tidy those bits up. Um, before looking at investing in property. So if we um, could think about, um, you know, for, for those who are thinking about maybe investing in, in 
in the buy to let market, maybe for the first time, or indeed maybe, you know, looking to, you know, grow their portfolio. Maybe they're not, you know, they haven't got a big portfolio, but they're looking to expand. Have you got any sort of suggestions, tips, advice that you might want to throw out there just to get them to think about? Yeah, I think house prices are high, rates are low. Um, you can remortgage, and I'm, I'm just doing it with a foundation, but with, with most, especially on the specialist side, will allow you to capital raise without having an onward purchase. So now is a great time to be remortgaging your, your portfolio. And if you're then sat on the money to then turn around and say, right, now is the time to go and invest, or no, it isn't. I also think looking at what you have got in your portfolio, if there's something that's not giving you the returns in which you want, it's not a bad thing to sell a property and then reinvest that money elsewhere. There's no shame in that. A lot of people say just keep the properties, keep the properties, keep growing it because it's going up. But if it's creating hassle and stress for you, there's no shame in saying that didn't work for us. A short term let, for example, we bought it. It hasn't let as successful as we want. We can get a good return on that now because we've made money on it. Um, I think would be a, would be a good good uh, tip really there. But speak to, to your, your mortgage advisors as much as possible because they can open doors and change your perce uh, perception on how to get a case with a certain lender and a certain property type. No, definitely. And I think I think one thing that's often overlooked or not considered um, by the by the less experienced, um, you know, I guess person involved with property as a as a as a as a you know, buy, you know, new, new buy to let investor or whatever is, is the amount of value that you can get from a really good specialist advisor. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people just think that, oh, they can just get me the rate and they can just li liaise with the bank. But what they tend to forget is actually, well, hang on a second, we're dealing with lots of different investors, yeah. advising lots of different, you know, professionals in the space that you're looking to get into. And actually that yeah. knowledge, you know, they can tap into that. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like, you know, one person is is, you know, dealing with, you know, 100 professionals. They're extrapolating a lot of knowledge, experience from all of those people that they can share to you. You know, in terms yeah. of what are they doing? How they're doing it? Latest strategies more than just getting the deal. <laughs> and yeah. I think I think that's often not considered or, or you know, or certainly overlooked. But um but no, hopefully, you know, but, but equally like with you guys, you know, at the bank, you know, you're dealing with, you know, it's the same principle. You're seeing what's happened in the market. You're speaking to economists, you know, you're, you're seeing what your, you know, your clients who are getting the mortgages, what they're doing, you're getting, you know, so it's a similar sort of principle ultimately. Um, and I, hopefully these types of, you know, um, you know, insights will, will, will help share a bit of that knowledge to, uh, to, to our audience. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think if you look at limited companies, where they've come in five years. So when in 2015, when the initial changes happened, only 5% of applications came to foundation home loans for purchases in a limited company. On purchases now, 83, over 80%, 83% of our uh, purchases will come to us in the form of a limited company. And that shows the professionalism. So what's happened over that five years is that landlords have understood it, lenders have understood it, accountants are now understanding, solicitors, 100%. brokers as well. So we've all got ourselves to that position that actually it does make sense. My one bit of advice there is make sure you do speak to a tax specialist. Um, don't just think it's the right thing. But if you want to grow a portfolio, so another thing that I, I say to a lot of brokers when I present to them is that 
when you're giving advice, and this is advice to landlords, not just to brokers, when you're buying a buy-to-let, you need to understand what your short, medium, and long-term goals are for this property. Am I buying this to create income today? Am I doing it for 20 years when I then come to retire that I'm then going to sell the property or it's going to replace a pension for me? Or am I doing it to build an estate for my family? And by doing it in a limited company, by adding the children in now, it's not a problem. You can have them as minority shareholders, B shareholders within that limited company. And to know that you're building that wealth for your family, that you can, you can wrap it in a trust. You can do whatever you want with these things now, which is really exciting. Whereas before it was 85, you've had it on interest only for the last 20 years. We want our money back now, Mr. Lender. And you've got no choice but to sell it or try and gift it to a child and, and make it a lot more complex. And it then becomes a purchase. Yep. Whereas if you look at, sorry, my screen's gone blank, sorry. I can see you fine. You can see me fine, that's good, okay. So yeah, yeah I think from, from that side, it's it's uh, it's a good thing. And, and actually, when you think about it, um, it, it helps those that, you know, if, for, well, first point is, it comes back to that original point we made that actually it's about being clear with your business goals. F you know, understand the foundation why are you doing what you're doing and what's your aim? Um, so, th so that's great that you reiterated that point. Um, but secondly, you know, if you start thinking about getting, you know, if your aim is to pass it from generation to generation and all the rest of it, if you start getting, you know, your, your, your children as named directors, suddenly they're getting that experience that you're looking for as a lender. So again, that accelerates Definitely. that process for when that transition period happens, it makes it easier and all the rest of it. But I think you're so right about, never assuming that the limited company buy to let route is the right route for you because you know i've done a previous videos on it before where ultimately there's no answer if it's right for you because everyone's tax position is so so different what yeah. is your business goal what do you want to get out of it um yeah. so you know without a doubt i think getting that tax advice as early as possible is is it, it will save you're going back and forth you can get that clear direction do i want to go limited or not from the outset and then yeah. then go from there rather than yeah. i want to buy that mortgage minute. i want to get that property oh hang on a second how am i going to do it or oh, i need to speak to a tax yeah. advisor and then you start yeah you know going backwards one, rather than forwards yeah one massive benefit of foundation home loans is that our rates are exactly the same for individuals or limited company so let's imagine that your your landlord has picked up the phone and said, "That's brilliant." By the way. That's brilliant. What's that? Sorry. The fact that you don't increase your prices because they're limited because I know lots yeah, of yeah, why, why should we? What? what there's no more risk, so it's no. Well, it's it's yes, about making more money, isn't it? Working, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, we keep them the same, which keeps it simple from from where we're positioned. Definitely. definitely. What also is really good is that. You could submit the case to us in an individual name. So let's say that your landlord has picked the phone up and said, Ben, I really need to submit this application today. I've got to get it in uh, now, otherwise I'm going to lose the property. And you're saying, okay, do you want an individual or do you want a limited company? What, what advice have you? I haven't had a chance to get hold of my accountant yet, but I want to get the case in. You could submit the case to us in an individual name, then get the tax advice. And before mortgage offer, you could flip that to a limited company because the SPV can be set up, as long as it's set up pre-mortgage offer, we're absolutely fine with that. So that gives people a bit of breathing space and a bit of understanding that they don't have to go 50-50, let's go limited company or everyone else is doing it, I'll go limited. Yeah. You can submit it one way and then change it afterwards. 
Yeah, no, perfect, perfect. There's usually more than one way to skin a cat, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly right, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Grant, let's, um, let's wrap it up. But, you know, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Um, that was brilliant. Really great insights. Um, we'll yeah. definitely have to be doing this again. Um, I'm excited to be getting this uh, this first Property Insights um, yeah. YouTube podcast out there. I think it's going to provide tons of value. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Grant. Really, really appreciate it. And for anyone yeah, who's listening still, please don't forget to subscribe and really do all that stuff. It, thank you very much. Thank <laughs> no you. problem. Take care, Grant. Cheers. Thanks, Blake.